Father, today we exalt your name above all names. And we thank you for your marvelous love and your marvelous grace. We thank you for the great gift of women needed to be man's companion. And in that gift of womanhood, you allowed them to be the vessel to bore sons and daughters. And so we thank you uh, for the gift of life that comes through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so Lord, as we look at your Word today, may it speak to our hearts as we learn to understand a little bit more about the life of Miriam. We ask you to speak to us through your Word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today I've titled today's sermon, Learning from Miriam. In the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 4, it reads like this, For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. If God thought it was important to include Miriam's name with Moses and Aaron, He must have thought enough of her to include her. And so today I want us to just take a look at her life. We're going back to about 350 years of uh, the Israelites living in Egypt. And if you go back to Genesis, you can learn the story of how God used Joseph uh, through a famine in order to bring his people um, to Egypt to save them. And, and, And Joseph's family was just a family of about 74 uh, people. Now, 350 years later, this group of people have multiplied somewhere in the area between 2 and 3 million people. And so the task that is given to Moses and Aaron and Miriam is huge. It's large. According to Exodus 1.8, and if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to the book of Exodus. I'll be staying in Exodus, so we'll jump to Numbers and a little bit in Psalms and a little bit in the New Testament. But mostly we're going to stay in the book of Exodus as we look at this story. In Exodus 8 or 1 8, it says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now, this king either didn't care or he just had no regard for the descendants of Joseph. He doesn't have a fresh vision how it was Joseph was the vessel that God used to preserve all life around. Because you remember in, in, in Genesis, we learned there was going to be a seven great years of harvest, and then there was going to be seven very serious years of a famine. And so it was Joseph that God used to save Egypt, to save the Israelite people. In Exodus 1, 8 and 9, it says this, And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply. 
And if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. The Israelites, now you have to also remember, this is God's chosen people. And here's what I hope the church can understand. It is not necessarily God's desire to make your life marvelous, great, pleasant, beautiful, healthy, wealthy while you're here. It's His desire in, his, in your life to help you to understand who He is, who you are, and that this relationship grows to where you have a love relationship with God's Son, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world today. In Exodus 1, 11 through 14, it says, Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's uh, store cities, a Python and Ramsey. But the more they oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread, and the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter and hard service, and mortar and bricks, and all kinds of work in the field. In all the work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. The king was absolutely afraid of the population of this group of people, and it was absolutely backfiring on him because the more he oppressed them, the faster they multiplied. In Exodus one twenty-two, then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrew shall be cast into the Nile, but you shall keep alive every girl. You see, this put one family that we know of right now in the king's wrath. It was Amram and his wife, Jochebed. They were expecting their third child. They had a, a daughter, Miriam. They had a son who is Aaron. Now, the only thing we really know about age here is we know that Aaron is three years older than Moses. We really don't know how old Miriam was. But I think when you see some of the things that she did, I, you know, I, I said, well, okay, so if he's three and she's three more, that would be six. But when I see the things that she does, and when you read about the things that she does, I'm thinking, would a six-year-old do that? You know, maybe she's seven, maybe she's eight, maybe she's nine. I don't know. But Miriam is going to be a great example for us. Jewish uh, tradition included that, that while Moses was still in the, in the womb, Miriam's father pleaded with the Lord to rescue the Hebrew people from the oppression they suffered in Egypt. Now, again, you, could, you can't find this in Scripture, but we can find this from the historian Josephus. Josephus wrote that um, in those prayers that Amon, in a dream, was promised that his newborn son would grow up to deliver all Israelites from their bondage. Now, according to Hebrews 11.23, it says this, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months, but his parents, because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edit. So, if that's true, if the father is, is praying to God and God reveals to him in a dream, your child is going to deliver Israel 
then they are setting their faith and their trust, which they are passing on to Miriam. Aaron's awful young to learn this yet, but, but Miriam for sure. And so the first thing I want you to see is that Miriam had great faith. Acts 7.20 describes this. At this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in the father's house. Amen, or Haman, Aram and Jochebed knew that Moses was precious in the sight of the Lord. And so they hid him for three months. According to Exodus 2.3, it says, When she could hide him no longer, she took him uh, from a basket made of a bulrush and, and dabbed it into bitumen pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river. The King James Version uses the word instead of basket, it uses the word ark, which is the very same word referred to as Noah's ark. Only time in Scripture that those two words are used together. And, and so when you think about that, just as Noah was saved by the ark, so was Moses. God has a perfect plan. The next thing I want you to see is that Miriam had great courage. And his sister Miriam stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now, this is where I say, this is where it's difficult to try to determine what Miriam's age is. She's at least six, could be eight, could be nine, could be ten, could be older. I don't know, but she's old enough that in the three months of um, raising Moses in the home, she has generated and created a love for this boy. And as she's learning what her parents are telling her, and maybe probably even helped her mom make this ark, and then her mom, the scripture says, took the ark and, and set it in the reeds of the Nile River. Now, there are several things we know about the reeds. The reeds are close to shore. The reeds would have broken up the current, and the reeds would have provided shade. So this with a thought process that they did this. Scripture also, also tells us that she placed the, the, the ark in a place where they knew uh, that possibly royalty would come and bathe. And so Miriam is standing off at a distance to watch and see what's going to happen to Moses. Here's the other thing. You're going to see here in a minute that it's Pharaoh's daughter who named him Moses. And I've always wondered, what did his parents name him? He's always been known as Moses. But it says that it's Pharaoh's daughter who named him Moses because the word Moses means drawn out. As she drew him out of the Nile, she decided to name him Moses. In Exodus 2, 5 and 6, it says this. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. Uh, while her young women walked beside the river, she, asked, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it, and um, she took it, and when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew 
children. Now, this lady knows the decree that has been given out by the king that all male children are to be thrown into the Nile River and to be killed. So she opens it, and, and again, here's another thing Josephus gives us that, that the Scripture does not. It says that, uh, and Josephus recorded that Pharaoh's daughter um, tried to find several of the ladies that she was with to, to, to hold Moses and to comfort him and to get him to quit crying. And, and without, without succeeding in that, here's where it comes in about Miriam. In verse 7, it says, Then his sister, which is Miriam, said to Pharaoh's daughter. Now again, try to picture this. Miriam is a slave, living in a slave family, and she is about to confront royalty. She has no regard to who Pharaoh's daughter is in the sense of being disrespectful. But what she has in her heart is, how can I take care of my brother? And so she says, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Remember, she just had the mother just put the, in, in the reed, in the, in the Nile, in a basket, uh, in an ark, hoping that this child would survive. And now, Miriam, because of her faith of being there and her courage, she's going to go back and she's going to get her mom to come and get to nurse her son. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her in verse 9, Take this child away, nurse him for me, and when and I will give you your wages. I don't know any mother who gets paid to be a mother. Payments, <laughs> payments for mothers is no sleep, tiredness, rest, endless laundry, kids crying, kids laughing, kids screaming, kids needing, changing diapers. But she's going to get paid. She's going to get paid to take care of her. Listen, only God. This is a beautiful story. Only God. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Nobody could see this play out like it did. Miriam watches. Miriam acts. And Miriam's family is blessed because of a little girl or young lady. We don't know her age. But now here's the neat thing. Miriam gets to see God work. Now, here's the thing. You and I can't go back to this time span and live in it or be about it. But we can read about it and we can have an understanding that God has written this for you to be able to see this. Now, Moses was probably able to stay with the family. There's really not an age given, but maybe at a minimum of nine, uh, maximum of 12 years of age. We, we really just don't know. But just think, in those precious years, Jochebed gets to teach Moses all she knows about God. 
And right now, what she knows is that Moses is going to be the one to deliver them from Egypt. God used Miriam in, in, a, in a specific ways. As she watched over him, as she was the method that God used in bringing Moses back home, in her willingness to show courage, she approached Pharaoh's daughter. Moses was delivered from the Nile. And listen, one day Miriam will get to see God deliver her people from slavery. In Exodus 2.10 it says, When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she drew him out of the water. <clears throat> we really don't know much about the upbringing and the acts of Moses, but here's what Acts 7.22 says. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and his deeds. Now, when I read this, it kind of caught me off guard because when God calls Moses to go back from Midian to go back to Egypt, what was Moses' one excuse of not going? He said, I'm just not good with words. You see, the reality was is, is Moses was good with words. And he was mighty. So Moses knew that God had delivered him in a very special way. Moses had been able to go into Egypt and live under the king, live in, in the palace with all the knowledge, with all the teaching, with all the food, with everything. But he also knew that it was his responsibility to deliver the Israelites. He just didn't know how or when. So Moses as a man, it says here in, in Exodus 2.11, it says, one day when Moses had grown up, he went to his people and he looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and he looked that way. And seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and he hit him in the sand. This is Moses' first act of deliverance. Acts tells us why he went out. In Acts... It says this in verse 23, When he was 40 years old, he came to his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended him, the, the oppressed man, and avenged him by striking him down, by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving him their salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and, and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why are you wronging at each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? They didn't know that God was going to use Moses to do that. He says, Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And at this retort, Moses or report, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. The very thing that Moses thought he was going to be able to do was to deliver the Israelite people. When he tried to do it in his own way, his own timing, and his own strength, it backfired on him. 
He knew now that they, the king knew, and, and if you were if we were to read it, we would see that the king is going to set out to try to kill Moses, and so Moses goes to Midian. And so the third thing I want you to see is that Miriam had to have patience. Has God ever worked on you with patience? Have you ever thought about when you needed God and when you wanted God and, and the things you wanted and how you needed and you knew exactly what God could do for you and God chose to do it in a different way, in a different timing, with a different purpose? That's God. Miriam knew that God would use Moses for their delivery. But she didn't know how and she didn't know how long. She had already waited 40 years. Remember, Jesus began His ministry at age 32. 40 years seems plenty of time, right, for God to raise up Moses for what He wanted him to be. Forty years. Forty years of being a slave to Pharaoh. But all she knows now is that Moses is gone and she doesn't even know where. And we know that he went to Midian, which is about 360 miles away, which is about a three-week journey. During that time, Moses was away. Miriam got married to her. They started a family. As Marion had been taught about God's promises of deliverance, she's now teaching her children about God and how God is going to deliver them through Moses that she doesn't know where he is. Chapter 3 of Exodus gives all the calling of Moses to return to Egypt to deliver his people. Now, one of the things that happens here is, is God goes to his brother Aaron it says, go out in the wilderness and meet your brother Moses. And it's probably Miriam who gets to know this. So can you imagine Miriam's heart when her brother Aaron told her that God told him to go meet Moses in the wilderness? This is now 80 years. 40 years in, 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 as the king's son, living in royalty, while the slavery of the people continued on and even got harder. And then 40 years, Moses is in Midian, and, and the, the acts of the, uh, being a slave is still difficult and hard. Acts 4.27 says, The Lord said to Aaron, Go to the wilderness, meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. The next thing I want you to see about Miriam is that Miriam worshipped. After the ten plagues, the time had come to leave Egypt, according to Exodus 12.37. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sirkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Now, I want you to think about that number. 600,000 men. Moses is getting ready to lead 600,000 men out of Egypt. If we put 600,000 women equal to the men, we now have 1.2 million people. If we add two children 
to each family, we're now at 2.4 million people. And that's just if we use two children per family. And at this culture, remember, Pharaoh is, is worried because these people are multiplying. The odds are really good that Moses was trying to lead out a group of people of 2.4 to 3 million people. It all of a sudden makes sense why God said, why do you think I gave you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam? You see, Miriam's part in this is going to be huge. Exodus 4, 11 and 12, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in a wilderness? Why have you done this to us to bring us out of Egypt? Is not what we were said to you in Egypt, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptian? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in a wilderness. And so here's what's happening. After the ten plagues... Pharaoh finally says, take your people and go. And so they're leaving Egypt. 2.4 million people plus. And, and the way that Moses is leading him, he leads them right to the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh opens up his eyes and he sees and he goes, what have I done? And he, he puts together his army and he comes after them. Imagine the people. Can you imagine Miriam? We're, be, we're being delivered. God's deliverance is here. You get right to the Red Sea. There's no place to go. There's no place to go back to because here comes Pharaoh with all of his chariots, his horses, his armies, and he's going to kill them. Scripture tells us through Psalms that God calls the chariots to all of a sudden have problems in navigating, confuse their minds, and that He caused a great thunderstorm to come. Listen to Psalm 77, 15 through 20. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured over the water. The skies broke forth in thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwinds. Your lightnings light up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. The people are afraid. Moses may even be afraid, but God tells Moses to stretch out his hand over the sea. Moses stretches out his arms over the sea and the waters divide. And a great wind comes through and dries the ground immediately. Immediately. 
Moses is now telling Aaron and Miriam, take the people and go. Now, can you imagine 2.4, 3 million people standing at the Red Sea? This is not a little path that God did. God created a huge, wide road, possibly a mile, mile and a half wide, in order to get all these people across in a timely manner. But can you see the fear as you, you look at this sea divided with walls of water and you're told to go? Great courage it takes to do that. I think of my, grands, or my grandson Levi. I can see him right now. He would want to run to that wall of water and touch it. He doesn't have a fear. He just has a curiosity. He wants to go. He's wanting to see. He would have been excited. But listen, you're also dealing here with elderly people. And they're going, we're going to do what? You're dealing possibly with mothers who are in their seventh, eighth month of pregnancy. We're going to do what? You got the men who are looking going, what? This is amazing. And as long as Moses held out his hands, that water was divided and those people crossed. Everybody crossed. The Bible tells us that God took his, his pillar of light and he put it between the Israelites and Egypt that it put the Egypts in total darkness and massive confusion so that the people could get away. And then once the chariots come into the, the ground looking for them, trying to get to them, God confuses them and brings on a tremendous thunderstorm on them. If you'll remember the ten plagues that had just happened weeks before this event, the people had seen amazing things that God had done. And listen, we get to read about it, and sometimes we just, we just read it, and we don't really imagine it. I, I was thinking about the other day. Remember, one of the plagues, God said, tell your people, he's, he's warning Pharaoh, tell your people to get their people inside, get your animals inside, because God's going to bring a hailstone, a hailstorm that nobody's going to survive. Can you imagine 50, 100-pound balls, blocks, blobs of ice falling. And if you, if you didn't bring your people in, if you didn't bring your animals in, they died. This God of these people are absolutely amazing. God delivers them. He, he finally reached out in, in right here in Exodus uh, 14.28. 14, 28 and 29 says, The waters returned and covered the chariots and horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall on them on the right and on the left. In Exodus 14, 31 says, Says the Lord had saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And the Lord saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and His servant Moses leads them to worship. Do you know what worship is? Worship is you 
sitting here and gathering and, and you giving worth from inside of you, deep into your heart, giving it to the one who deserves it. And Moses, he reaches out in Exodus 15, 1, it says this, Then the Lord, and then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. The song's long. I, I want to read it, but you want to go have lunch too. <laughs> Hebrews eleven twenty nine 29 says this, By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. And so Miriam leads the women to worship. Listen to Exodus 15, 20-21. Now, you got to remember this. How old is Miriam? She's in her 90s. Can you imagine a 90-year-old woman, uh, a 90-year-old young woman, leading the women to worship? Here's what it says. Then Miriam, the prophetess, and by the way, prophetess, there's only four other women in the entire Old Testament given that title. The sister of Aaron took a tambourine in her hand and all the women went out after her with her with tambourines and dancing. When I think about the dancing, I always think of David dancing in the streets because of God's great deliverance. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed graciously. The horses and His riders have been thrown into the sea. You see, Miriam's song was centered around the power of God, the glory of God, and the song singing was to God. The people were free. But it doesn't take very many people to get grumpy quickly. Three-day journey into freedom. Exodus 15, 23 says, When they came to Moriah, they could not drink the water of Moriah because it was bitter. Therefore, they named the water Moriah, the place Moriah. In chapter 16, God provides manna and meat for them. You know, here's what's happening. They have forgotten about who had just delivered them from the Israelite or from Egypt by spreading a sea and keeping it back. So they get out here to three days, and you have to understand, they left quickly. They left with not a lot. And so they're getting thirsty. They're getting hungry. And you have, you know, uh, what, what do you, you know, I don't know if you, in our family, when, when someone is hungry, they become hangry. They can get angry. They can become uh, a little bit upset, on edge. And so here's what happened. You know, these people... They want water. And, and, and the water at Miriam, you know, the Bible says that God put a log in it, a log, told him to put a log in it, and the water became drinkable. The people became hungry, and so he gives them manna, he gives them quail. Jumping ahead to see Miriam's grandson, he was picked to build the tabernacle in Exodus 35, 30, and 31. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Beshael uh, of Uri and, and son of Hur, 
of the tribe of Judah. He was filled, he filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill and intelligence, with knowledge, and with great craftsmanship. So Miriam's life is just blessed. But here's where we see that Miriam is human. The last thing I want you to see is Miriam's sin. And that sin is jealousy. In Numbers 12, 1, it says this, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushnite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushnite woman. Now, they were reaching out and they were complaining to Moses that he had married outside of the Jewish tribe, which he shouldn't have done. That's their thinking. But verse 2 kind of puts it into perspective where the real problem was. Verse 2 says, And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has He not spoken through us also? You see, it's like Miriam, or, uh, Miriam is watching and, and over this period of time, Moses has become this pinnacle, which he should have been because that was God's man. But they became jealous. <clears throat> For some reason here, Miriam and Aaron are challenging the authority of Moses. And God deals with them immediately. In Numbers 12, 3-8, it says this, Then the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were in the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of the meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood in the entrance of the tent. He called out Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I have spoke mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And when the cloud removed from the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. Aaron turned toward Miriam. Behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is eaten away even after he comes out of the mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, Oh God, please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that may she be brought back in. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not see or did not set out to march till Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out for Hazaroth and, and they camped near the wilderness of Paran. The story of Miriam stops here. There's nothing more really said about her. 
Uh, I, I often wonder sometimes in, in, um, in the fairness, um, this, these two, Miriam and Aaron, Aaron uh, they, they went against Moses' authority, but why did God only punish Miriam? Scholars believe that she probably was the instigator. But as I was talking to my wife about this story this week, I, was, I shared, but you know, it's funny, Aaron builds a golden calf and God doesn't strike him with leprosy. What's the fairness in that? And all I can say is, God is gracious to us all. He was gracious to Miriam. He allowed the leprosy to leave. He allowed her to live in the next four generations which is probably in, in submission to Moses as leading. So we look at the overview of this story. I want you to think about as a young girl, she watched her young brother when he floated in the Nile. As a wife and mother, she had waited in Egypt for the deliverance to come. As an elderly woman, she saw the people of God at the Red Sea. As a woman of 90 years of age, she led the women to worship the Lord. We know stories about her husband, her, who held up the hands of Moses as they battled the, the uh, Amicites. And as long as their arms was held up, the battle they were winning, and when Moses' arms would drop, they would start losing. And so uh, Aaron was on one side, her was on the other, and they're holding the hands up. And so the battle was one, and it was in favor of them. Wrapping it up, I want you to see faith. Miriam had great faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. 11.6, it says, And without faith it's impossible to please Him. That's God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and He rewards those who seek Him. Just as Miriam had faith in what was going to happen. It didn't happen in her time span. It didn't happen in her timeline, but it did happen. Some 80 years later, it happened. Courage. Miriam showed great courage. 1 Corinthians 15.58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It takes courage today to stand up as a believer. And listen, that courage is going to be challenged. And you are going to be challenged in the time to come. It takes courage to walk down an aisleway and accept Jesus Christ publicly as your personal Lord and Savior. It takes courage to follow through with believers' baptism. It takes courage to go back out into the world and tell the world that you're not the same man. You're not the same woman. Because you have been born again into the family of God. Third thing I said was patience. Romans 12.12 says this, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. It, 
Here's what I know. Jesus Christ is coming back. It's been 2,000 years. But He's coming. And if Satan has his way, if the world has his way, your thought process about that will stop. Because it's in my anticipation of Him coming that I still want to share the Gospel of Jesus Christ with people. Worship. Hebrews 13, 13 says this, Therefore, let us go outside the camp and bear the reproach He endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we see the city that is to come. Through Him, let us, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. This is the fruit of our lips, the acknowledgement of His name. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Today we're here to worship. The last thing is sin. John 3, 4, everyone who makes practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, and lawlessness is sin. Romans 3, 21 says this, But now the righteousness of God manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because His divine forbearance has passed over former sins. Miriam showed us great faith, great courage, great patience, great worship, and also the fall of sin. That is us all. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. In John 3.16, it says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17 goes on and says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that He might save the world through Him. Miriam showed great faith by crossing the Red Sea. And that was God's salvation for the Israelite people. Today, will you show great faith by believing in God's salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through Me. There is not multiple ways to God. There is only one. Through His Son. Remember I just read it up here in Romans. He's the propitiation, which means what He has done has satisfied the Father's wrath against you. When you place your faith and trust in His work on the cross, you too can become righteous. Miriam centered on the glory of God, worshipped by singing to the Lord. Let me ask you this question. Can you sing? Let's pray. Father, as we begin this time of invitation. It's a time for each one of us to reflect about our faith and our courage, about our patience and our worship, and Lord, also about our sin. All have sinned and fallen short.
But you, through your Son, have made a way for us to become right. And so Lord, as each one will be sitting here dealing with you on their own, we ask you to move in their hearts that you be glorified and that we put the praise of Jesus on our lips. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. As the music plays, this is your time to deal with God. You deal with Him at your seat. If you want to deal with Him at the altar, you can come to the altar. If you want to come to me, you can come to me. But here's what I'm asking you. Deal with Him.